This past week truly was incredible at our church. We saw some records. We weren't sure really what to expect going into VBS because of COVID and everything else. But we had our highest single night that we've ever had in the history of our church. 186 kids were here, along with over 100 workers and parents coming in and out, dropping off their kids. We had more kids throughout the week than we've ever had. We had 23 first-time decisions. And the, the first-time decision blows my mind because of how powerful and good it is. But I want you to understand kind of the direction of how that happens. We had, of the 186, I would probably say maybe 150 kids raise their hand or stand up to make a decision. But what happens after we would share the gospel and walk through that process is we would have the kids stand up and then they would kind of move out. One night, every first and second grader except for two, and we're talking about 30, 40 kids got up and they're like, I want to get saved. Uh, and that's great. We're excited. But we would take them with an individual counselor and they would talk to make sure that they knew and understand. Some kids got it. Some kids were like, yeah, Johnny stood up, so I wanted to go with them. Others were like, I thought we were getting candy. And so when we say 23 decisions... These are 23 kids where we've talked to the children, we've talked to mom and dad, and we feel confident. That's something to be excited about. 16 decisions for baptism. These are kids who got saved before VBS and were like, I just want to get baptized. Can we do it? So we talked to mom and dad about when they feel comfortable with it. And then Friday night, we baptized six children, and it was just exciting. Actually, I think there are four or five, and then one or two uh, students got baptized as well. But you can see all of this success taking place because we had this direction about us. Everybody had a job. Everybody had a role. Everybody got training. And because of that, we were able to be highly effective for the kingdom of God this past week. And what we're going to be talking about today in Judges chapter 4 is how sometimes there is direction that is necessary for us to move in God's direction. We need people to steer, guide, and direct us. And that's what we're talking about, Judges chapter 4. As you're, as you're turning there, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Judges, this is dealing with the first generations who lived in the promised land. So they had left Egypt, they had gone through the wilderness for 40 years, and they had crossed into the promised land. And these are people who had forgotten about God. They didn't have to go through it. Their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents did. These are people who were living in a land that they didn't have to fight for. It was given to them. And they had direction and guidance, but they didn't always follow it. And they had the cycle of sin that they would fall into that we're going to touch on here in a little bit. But as we start in Judges chapter 4, this is how it goes. It says, And the people of Israel again... This is their cycle. Again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, Jabin was also mentioned earlier in Scripture, but Jabin was a dynasty name. So think more like Julius Caesar. There were different Jabins in Canaan. And so into the Jabin, the king of, of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of the army was Sisera, who lived in Hesheroth Hagamim, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So you have Sisera who was leading the army of Canaan, and the judgment that the people of God had for abandoning the way of the Lord was Canaan. Sisera was coming through, and they had an army that was untouched. So what you see is Ehud was there, they had peace, in their peace they quit living for God, they got into sin, and then their sin brought about discipline or oppression. You see that through the 900 iron chariots. Nobody could stand against this army. 
their oppression would bring about repentance, repentance, deliverance. They'd have peace, and it's just this cycle. The cycle in the Old Testament is a cycle in the New Testament. The cycle back then is a cycle that we have a tendency to fall into today. So it's very, very important for us to know here and understand what's taking place in Scripture so that we won't repeat the same mistakes. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, a wife of Lapidah, was judging Israel at the time. Now Deborah, as you're going to look at this, she was a prophet. She was a woman who was speaking out on behalf of God. She was a judge. She was judging the people. She was basically the leader and the ruler. And the reason that we know she was qualified to do this is because she was also a wife taking care of her baby husband, and she also had children taking care of them too. If you can take care of a husband, you can take care of babies, you can take care of anything. Can I get an amen from the women? I thought it'd be louder. I thought it'd be louder. Some of y'all are like, did he just call my husband a baby? Yes, I did. You got children that you're married to, and you got children that you're a child that you're married to, most of you, and some of you are like, I don't appreciate that, but women. Am I right a little bit? Come on, raise your hand if you think I'm right a little bit. Some some over there, there you go. We got both hands up in different places. So uh, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people, people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent summoned to Barak, the son of Abni, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking up 10,000 men from Naphtali to the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you at the river of Kishon with his chariots and his troop, and I will give you into his hand. What we see in this passage is that Deborah, a woman, who was in a role that was not common. It was not common for a woman to be the prophetess. It was not common for a woman to be the judge. But when there's a lacking, a woman can do anything. We see that happening here in Scripture. And as this happened, she called the leader of the armies to her, which is uncomfortable, and she said, hasn't God told you to do this? You know what every man needs from time to time? A woman pushing him or maybe kicking him in the pants to do what God says. Verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go, I will not go. Men, don't you hate that this sounds like men far too often? Some of you are like, Cole, I don't appreciate you attacking men, but we're seeing it happen here with Barak right here. If you go, I will go. If you'll not go, I won't go. There's more behind that. We'll get to it later. Verse nine. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and they went to Barak and called out Zebulun, Naphtali of Kadesh, and 10,000 of the men went up at his hills, and Deborah went up with him. Verse 11, now Heber, the Canaanite, had separated from the Canaanites and the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far as the oak in Zanunim, which is near Kadesh. Verse 12, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinon, had gone up with Mount Tobar, Sisera called out the chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him for Heshef Hegemon to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, everybody look at it, up, for this is a day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down to Mount Tibur with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all the chariots and all of his armies before the bank of the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Now, as you're looking at this, I want you to understand what's taking place in this passage. They're there. They're fighting. And as they're there, you have Deborah looking at, at Barak, and she's saying, look, 
Today is the day that the Lord is going to give you the victory. She doesn't say, Barrett, today God has empowered, you are strong enough to do this. She says, today the Lord has given your enemy into your hand. Now, as this is taking place, we need to understand the nature of the victories that he gives us. The nature of the victories that we have from God are not our strength, our might, our power. It's that God who dwells within us fills us with his spirit, and it's his spirit that moves and works that gives us victory. So if you're in here and you have an army that's coming at you, that army might be finances, that army might be health, it might be a marital issue, a relationship issue, it might be fear, you might have a habit or an addiction that is dominating your life and you're like, this army, this fight is too much for me, I want you to understand that victory is found in the Lord. When Jesus Christ died on the, on the cross, when he was buried, and three days later, he rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave, that victory he has infills you with that same Holy Spirit that allowed him to raise from the dead, and you have victory as well. Victory comes with different ways and different means, but I want you to understand the victory that Barak was about to have was not because of him, it was because of the Lord. Now, as we're looking at this, I want you to understand what verse 13 is saying. Verse 13 says this, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Hasheth Haganon to the river of Kishon. Now, what happened in this battle? You got Barak, who was obviously scared because he was sitting at home when God told him to, to gather his army and go fight. You have Barak, who was there, who didn't know what was going on. He sees this army, but in 413, we see that the army is fighting on the bank, right? They're at the Kishon River. And this is a seasonal river that flows northwest through the Jezreel Valley. And during the battle, what happened was a rainstorm filled the riverbed, chapter 5, verse 4, and it immobilized the Canaanites' chariots. Now, these chariots of, of iron were impenetrable. Nobody could defeat them. Nobody, that's why they just literally rolled over all their enemies. But whenever the Lord fights for you, he creates these ways to overcome that we don't see coming. So they're fighting at the river and all of their chariots get stuck in mud. And these people who knew how to fight in their chariots did not know how to fight hand to hand. And Israel completely routed the Canaanite army. I want you to understand, when you don't see victory coming, when you don't know how God's going to provide, you don't know how God's going to deliver, he has a rain coming to stick your army in the mud the army that you're facing, and just understand the nature of God's victory comes in ways that we don't always see. Verse 15, we continue on. And the Lord routed Sisera and all the chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. He ran and all by himself. Verse 16, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Hadash Hagaman, and the armies of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. They were all wiped out. Verse 17, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was a peace between Jabin, the king of Hezer, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside and went into her tent and she covered him with the rug. Understand what's happening. He went into her home. He was in her bed. He was in a place that he should not have been. Men, understand this. Your place is never in the house or under the rug or in the bed of another woman. You see what's happening here? He's in a place he should not be. 
And he said to her, please get me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door, opening of the tent. And if any man comes in to ask you, is anyone here? Say no. Verse 20 is an indication. Men never tell a woman what to do. Verse 21. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer, took a hammer in her hand. Then she went up softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep. So he died. We're talking about a tent peg, 12 inches long. That was long enough to go through one side of the head all the way to the ground to where he was literally nailed to the floor. Here's what I'm saying. Men, be careful where you lay your head. Only lay your head on the lap of your spouse, on the bed of your spouse. Everybody with me on this? Continuing on in the passage. Verse 22, and behold, as Barak was pursuing, Sisera Jael went out to meet him and said to him, come and I will show you the man whom you're seeking. You can see this. I'll take him place. He's like, you know what? Deborah said that this was going to be in the hands of a woman, but a man's here to do a job. So he went in to her tent and there lay Sisera dead. And he's like, oh, well, I guess it's been taken care of. Went the tip peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Now, whenever we look at this, we can talk about how victory belongs to the Lord. We can talk about the importance of obedience. But there is this message There is this lesson to be learned within the text that, I'll be real honest, on Wednesday, I was done preparing, I had got my notes done, and then Wednesday afternoon, I start looking at this, and I'm like, I think I missed the bigger point here. Because there's something for us to see that we all have direction that we need sometimes. And there's a very specific thing that we see that created the situation for victory to happen. And this is what I believe we need to get from this text today. And it starts with this. Direct accountability is necessary for the believer to live a life that is pleasing to God. Direct accountability. Having people speak truth into our lives is necessary for you and me to live a life that's pleasing to God. So she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinon, from Kedus Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord your God of Israel commanded you to go gather your army and go fight Sisera? That was her message. Understand this. She was a woman in a role that was not common for a woman to be in. She was a prophetess that was not common. She was a judge that was not common. And she's calling Barak, the leader of the army, into her presence, that is not common. Everything about this situation was a tough spot for Deborah to be in. She met the challenge. She was qualified. She was able. She did her job in the right way. But understand this. She held Barak accountable, and she did it through a tough conversation. Here's what I think we need. We need accountability to live a life that is pleasing to God, and accountability requires difficult conversations. Whenever we're talking about why it's so difficult for us to have this, why the nature of accountability and tough conversations is difficult is because our natural inclination is to reject accountability. 
Our natural inclination, when somebody comes to us and says, hey man, I love you, but I look at your life, your attitude is not right, the way you're treating the people around you is not right, like it is, whenever we hear that, we get defensive, we shell up, we clam up, we say, don't judge me, who are you to say this? And the other side of that is true. When we see a friend or a brother or a sister in Christ that we know and love, and we know they're not living right. Our natural inclination, whenever it's like, man, somebody needs to talk to them, I hope our natural inclination is, I hope somebody else does it because I don't want to jeopardize my friendship. I don't want them to think that I'm judging them. I don't want them to think I, I think I'm better than, than them. Our natural inclination, whether we're giving accountability or receiving accountable, accountability is to just naturally reject it. So here's what I need you to hear from me. Accountability is not judgment. Everybody say it with me one time. Accountability is not judgment. Accountability is us seeing a brother or sister in Christ who is not living a life that's pleasing to God and being engaged with them to move them from where they are to where God wants them to be. What it meant for Barak and Deborah is Deborah knew Barak was living in sin because he had a command from God and was disobeying. And she said, look, has the Lord not commanded you? She challenged him to do what God commanded him to do. Can I tell you, every single one of us, everybody in the room, everybody watching online has times in their life where they need a trusted friend to say, this is what God says, and you're not living a life that's pleasing to him. You've got to do better. You can do better. See, judgment is when we're like, you're a piece of trash. You're definitely going to hell because of your sin. That's not our role. Judgment is looking at somebody and saying, you'll never amount to anything and moving on with our life. Accountability is when you see somebody in the valley and you go down in the valley with them and you're like, you're better than this. We're going to get through it together. You're better than treating your spouse or your friend like this. You're better than this bad attitude. I got you. We're going to walk through this together. It's not the same. We want to say, don't judge me, or you can judge me when you're perfect. But the reality is that accountability helps us live the life that Christ has called us to for the glory of God. Tom Landry said it this way. He said, a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear who has you see what you don't want to see so that you can be who you have always known you could be. Hear this. Christian accountability is accountability. is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see, your sin, your ignorance, your hatefulness, your, your ungodliness. They help you see what you can't, don't want to see so that you can be in Christ who you have always known you can be. And that is Christian accountability. And what happens in this, in accountability, is they give you awareness on how you're living and how you should live. What this meant for, for Barak and Deborah is that she helped him take the blinders off to what, what he was doing. She helped him understand the nature of, of how God was going to bring about victory, not just for him, but for everyone around him. Verse 14, and Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Do not, does not the Lord your God go out before you? It's like, hey, 
Today is the day. God's already going to prepare the way for you to have victory. See, in accountability, what we need is we need people to come around us and say, here's the deal. You're not living a life that's, your behavior, your actions, your attitude are not pleasing to God. But understand this, the nature of the Holy Spirit is to correct. And as I walk through this with you, you can have the attitude, you can have the mindset, you can have the behavior that God's calling you to. Accountability requires direction. Hey, you're moving away from God when you should be moving towards God. Hey, you keep skipping church for no reason, but church is God's gift to help you live your, the life that he's calling to you to, so let's move in his direction. See, in, in, in younger ages, we know the, the importance of accountability. This week, as VBS was going on, we had our preschoolers that had to navigate halls, and there's all kinds of noises and actions and food and everything going on. But the kids always got from point A to point B with relative ease. There's a reason for that. They had somebody in the front, they had somebody in the back, and they had somebody in the middle to direct their path to make sure they stayed the course and that they were focused on where they needed to be. Some of them even had a little rope here. That's a picture I stole from the internet. It's not from VBS week because I didn't take a picture. I just saw it and thought of it later. This is what happens. With children, we know that we need somebody in front of us, behind us, alongside of us. But as adults, we're like, I can do it on my own. The reality is for us to live a life that's pleasing to God, we need people in front of us, behind us, and alongside of us. We need people who will, who will push us towards God. We need people who will pull us toward God. We need people who will motivate us and inspire us and encourage us and build us up to live for God. And the, the thing that's different between judgment, which we don't want to be, nobody in here wants to be judgmental. I don't want to judge you. I don't want you to judge me. But what I do want is people who know me, who love me, who want my best interests, who want to see me live for God, hold me accountable. Here's the big difference between judgment and accountability. Judgment is rooted in arrogance when we look down upon other people and we cast judgment on them. We think we're better than them. Accountability is rooted in love. Because I love you, because you love me, we need to be in accountability together. Because I know you profess Christ as your Savior and I profess Christ as my Savior, we have got to share our lives together. Accountability, when we're talking about rooted in love, is rooted in sharing life together. It's rooted in the idea that, that we're in this together, that we want to glorify God in our mind and our hearts and our body, and so we submit to one another. And this is something that I don't want you to feel like I'm preaching at you. This is something I live out. I believe in accountability. You want to know the number one way that we can live for God? It's accountability. I believe that with all my heart. So every Thursday, I meet with a guy named Jeff Hayes. He's a pastor at Fellowship Church in Royce City. He asks me questions. I have asked him questions. We talk baseball. We talk church. We talk about our lives. We just know what's going on in each other's life. When I'm a jerk to my wife or my kids, I tell them about it. When there's a staff issue, I don't know what to do. We talk about it. And this isn't something I just do in, in my personal. This is something I do in my professional life. We hold each other accountable. Because we want to glorify God in everything we do. In fact, our inner staff saying that we have is excellence in all things, all things for the glory of God. Excellence in all things, all things for the glory of God. So every time we meet as a staff, we do this exercise called green hat, black hat. Green hats are the things we do well. Black hats are the things that we do poorly. Like we don't want church to be a bad experience for anyone. 
So if we have a bad guest, uh, guest experience, then we talk about it. What, what, what went wrong? How come nobody was at the information desk? Did we not staff it right? Or what happened with the song? We, we were off key the whole time. Or maybe the sermon point was no good. Cole, what were you thinking on this illustration? I'm like, I need you to tell me what I'm not doing good so I can be better. Because what we're doing as a church is far too important to get it wrong. And so out of love, we're not trying to criticize people or tear, tear people down. We're not trying to beat people up. We just want to be better for the glory of God. Excellence in all things, all things for the glory of God. Accountability helps us live a life that's pleasing to God. You should do it personally. You should do it professionally. You should do it in your homes. You should even, parents hear me, do it with your children. You should look at your children and get on their level eye to eye and say, how am I doing as a dad? How am I doing as a mom? Tell me what I'm doing that I could do better. And sometimes they'll say, hey, you're doing great. And sometimes your kids will look at you and be like, you yell too much. Who are you to tell me what I do too much? That's how you respond to that. I'm just kidding. You've got to allow yourself in all things to be accountable because Sometimes we're just blind to how we're living. So, so we see that accountability and, and awareness is necessary, but I'm telling you, attention to the details, attention to what God's doing around us is necessary. Look at verse 19, and he said to her, Barak said to Deborah, please give me a little, oh no, this is not Barak, this is Sisera. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink. Remember where Sisera is in this moment. He's in another woman's house in her bed under the rug, Right? He's in a place that he shouldn't be, but also listen to this. He's all alone. Please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. And she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. If any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him and she gently drove a peg into his temple until he went down into the ground lying fast asleep of weariness and he died. He fell hook, line, and sinker into the temptation of going into a woman's house laying in a woman's bed that was not his own. Remember what I said earlier? Men, be careful where you lay your head. You might lose it. There's a bigger problem that happened here. He was all alone living without any accountability, living without anyone watching his back. He was isolated. The one thing we see in creation that God does not like, that is not good, it is not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, 18. When we are isolated, we set ourselves up for failure. Accountability is the opposite. It requires togetherness. It means that we're sharing our lives with other people. It means that we are doing our lives with other people. It means that other people are involved. And out of love, we have people that we know, love, and trust. We have people in our lives that as we're doing life together, we get permission to speak truth into our lives. We submit ourselves to them. And please hear me, doing life with other believers is essential. It is imperative for the believer to live a life that's glorifying to God. It is essential for you to find other people who can speak truth into your life, who are like, look, I know you love me. I know you want the best for me. I know that you want the best for my family. And so here's what I need from you. I need you, if you see something in me that's not pleasing to God, my attitude, my actions, my behaviors, my habit, whatever it is, if you see something in my life that's not pleasing to God, I need you to call me out on it 
because I know you love me and I know you want the best for me. The way that we facilitate this best is through our connect groups. In worship, we come and we worship in song, we worship in preaching. In connect groups, we take the word of God and we sit around in a circle. We talk about it and we figure out how we can apply God's word to our lives. What should happen in a good connect group is we talk about struggles. We talk about maybe marriage or parenting or job or health, whatever's going on in our life. And we open ourselves up to other people, connect groups, to where we live lives that are connected with one another, to where we form and grow and develop relationships where it becomes easy for us to share what's going on in each other's lives. And so for me, I don't ever like it when people are like, hey, do this, and they leave me alone. What I want is, okay, this is a command, this is a lesson that we see from Barak. He was able to please God, and all of Israel got set free because Deborah held him accountable. What do we do? The motivating verse for me in all my accountability relationships is Ephesians 5.21. And this is, Ephesians 5 is all about living for God, walking for God, walking in love, living a life that's pleasing to God. And then in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Accountability is submitting to someone else, not because they're better than you, not because they're greater than you, not because they hold authority, but you submit to one another, to someone else out of reverence, not for them, but for Christ. Submission for reverence, out of reverence for Christ, because God saved me from my sin, because Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and having satisfied the wrath of God and the penalty of my sin, he rose victorious from God. Because of reverence for what Christ did for me, and I want to live for him, I will submit myself to other people. How do we do it? What are the steps that we take? Number one, make the decision. Decide that you will live in accountability. Decide to be accountable to someone else. Find somebody else in this church. Find somebody in your connect group and say, look, you and I both know I have a bad attitude. You and I both know that I've got a bad mouth. You and I both know that, that I have these, but let me tell you, I got other issues that aren't public and I need you to help me live for Christ. Decide that you're gonna be held accountable by somebody else. Number two, embrace vulnerability. Account Listen, accountability only works when you're vulnerable. It only works when you're open. It only works when you're truly honest. Accountability relationships are worthless if you're not open and honest. The word for that is vulnerable. Be vulnerable with a trusted friend. When I have an accountability group, when we meet and throughout those meetings, what we have is a rule. What we say in that accountability group stays in that group. We don't share it with our wives. We don't share it with anybody else. When we're in accountability, that is just for us. And if you break that rule, we're going to strip you down, tie you to a telephone post, tar and feather you, and leave you for the cops to find you and hope that you get embarrassed and shamed by everybody because you don't break the rule that we keep whatever is in that accountability group in that accountability group. Can I get an amen from anybody who's ever been in an accountability group? Amen. To be vulnerable, you got to trust people. And if that means you threaten them with, with tar and feather and naked in the middle of City Hall, I don't care. You do whatever you got to do. Cole, are you serious? Yeah, kind of. And here's number three. Accountability is meant to build each other up. You don't point fingers. You don't yell. And if you do make fun of each other in that process, it's not to beat them down. It's to say, look, we're better than this. Come on. I'm with you in this. 
We're not talking to our spouse right. We're not talking to our family right. We're not doing right at work. We're not doing right at home. We're not doing right in our lives. I'm with you. I'm going to build you up. We're going to take that step together. We're going to move away from sin. We're going to move to God. We're going to, instead of living a life that pleases our flesh and ourselves, we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God. We're going to build each other up. Why was Barak successful? Why were the people of God delivered? Because Deborah held him accountable and pointed him towards Christ. You want to live a life filled with victories in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior? Be accountable. Here's what you have to do. You have to say, I will direct my life towards Christ. 